James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, I don't know if some of you know this, some of you probably do, but this section of scripture that we just read and we're going to be studying tonight almost kept the book of James from being accepted into the Bible. Because the men who were prayerfully wrestling over what was the canon of scripture, which books were actually inspired by God and which ones weren't. They thought for a while that James was contradicting Paul. Because, you know, Paul said you're saved by grace, by faith, not of works. Yet James says, you're justified by works. Look at verse 24 again. Look at James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, keep a finger here in Ephesians 8 and 9, and we'll go back to, John, to James 2, 24 again. You see the person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So here, for a while, as these men were wrestling over this, they started to say, well, maybe James shouldn't be called Scripture because he's contradicting Paul. Well, let me just stop real quick and clarify something for you that will help you a lot. I know that this is scripture. And by the way, they all came to this, the understanding as the spirit of God guided them that this was scripture. And we're going to show you in just a second. James and Paul aren't contradicting each other. They're actually saying the exact same thing from different angles. And we'll explain that in a minute. But I also wanted you to look at, the, look at it this way. When we look at our Bible and say, how do we know that we have the word of God? Let me prove to you how we know we have the word of God. God. The Bible actually says that whatever door he opens, no man can shut. And whatever door he shuts, no man can open. If God wanted a book in the Bible, there isn't a man on earth that could keep it from being in the Bible. And if there was a book in here that didn't belong, there isn't a man on earth that could put it in and keep God from getting it out. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have the, 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 the closed canon, if you will, of Scripture. This, God has blessed us with this book. And like I said, by the time they were done wrestling over it, they came to realize James and Paul weren't contradicting each other. Actually, as I'm going to bomb you with tonight, 
They were actually both saying the same thing that John the Baptist and Jesus had been saying all along. You remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? I stopped at verse 9. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, don't miss this. Paul said, you're saved by faith and not by anything you do. Your salvation is a gift of God. But if you have faith, there will be good works that come out of your life that demonstrate you have that faith. James was saying, you say you have faith? That's wonderful. But unless there's good works, there's no evidence that you have faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is the real test or one of the many tests of whether or not our salvation is real is, is there evidence in your life that you have faith? Saying you believe is not enough. James was most likely dealing with a group of Jewish believers who had come out of Judaism and Judaism was full of legalism and they had been taught to try to be good enough and they were trying to earn their salvation by keeping the law and all this. And they came to realize that you can't be righteous and that you receive it by faith. And there were probably some that said, all right, then I just have faith. And I'm not going to worry about how I live my life. I just believe. And James says, um, that won't do you any good either. Just saying you have faith. There has to be evidence. And that's where we're going to go tonight. And we're going to hit it in many different angles. We're going to wrestle with this passage of Scripture. We're going to break it down. But I want to take you back with me to Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to just spend a little bit of time at the beginning. And I hope you don't get weary of it. But I want you to see that this topic that we're looking at tonight has been all throughout the teaching of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 3, listen to John the Baptist in verses 7 and 8. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, as John the Baptist was preaching a message of repentance so they would get ready for the Messiah, the kingdom of God to appear. Remember, he was preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And his message was simply this. God is about to move amongst you. The promised kingdom is about to come on to in, on the scene into our presence. But the only way you can be ready to be a part of the kingdom and receive what God's about to do is to acknowledge your sin and that you're a sinner and that you desire to repent and turn from that sin. And if you want to come and publicly acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a savior, come be baptized. Well, the Pharisees start to realize that all these people are crowds of people that are coming from everywhere to hear John preach. They're going out in the wilderness to hear him preach. And the Pharisees decide, well, they're getting pretty impressed with this guy, John. We probably need to act like we're on board. And John sees the Pharisees coming. And he says, no, let's see some evidence of repentance before we baptize you. To find out if what you're saying is real. So he's saying the true evidence of what you say is what? Works. By the way, that's what James is saying, and that's what Paul is saying. Yes, we're saved by faith. But if you don't have evidence, we're going to see the Bible calls it fruit, good works. You might want to check whether or not that faith you say you have is real faith. Because you're going to see tonight, as I show you from Scripture, there are going to be many that say, I believe. But God knows that their faith or their belief isn't real saving faith. 
Do you know there's a difference between faith and saving faith? Do you know there's a difference between belief and saving belief? The Bible actually talks about that, and you're going to see that in just a little bit. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Even Satan believed, and the demons believe. That's what James just said. Doesn't do them any good. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. In other words, he says, your life should be such that people see the change, see the evidence of God within you, and give glory to God. Because they'll only give glory to God if they realize what's happening in your life ain't from you. But don't miss this. He said, you don't put a lamp under a bushel. You put it where it can be seen. Hang on for a second. How many people have you run into over the years that say, well, I have a, a personal relationship with God, and it's a personal private thing between me and God? The Bible says you better check, make sure that what you say you have, you really have. Because if you're not willing to let your light shine and to confess him before others, he said he ain't going to confess you before his father. There needs to be evidence of salvation. Now, go to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who what? Does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Just because you say you believe, just because you call him Lord, doesn't mean he's Lord. But if you do what he says... There's evidence that he really is Lord. I, I've actually met people as I travel around the country and speak in different places. I actually have met people that say, I believe that Jesus is God. But there ain't no way he's controlling my life. Oh, many people say that. There are even people that claim Christianity who go to church. Who will actually say, I believe. I'm a follower. I believe in Jesus. But I'm not giving up this area of my life. No, no, no. That, that he can't have. They call him Lord. But is he? Let me show you something very interesting. Now, I'm going to give you some quizzes tonight. And you may, you may do well, you might not. And don't, don't feel bad. But you have to wrestle with some of these things so that the Spirit of God can speak to your heart a little bit. Go to John chapter 12. And keep a bookmark in Matthew 7, because there's something in the very next two verses that we have to look at that's very important. But go to John chapter 12 real quick and look at verses 42 and 43. Now keep in mind some of the things that we've just looked at. In John chapter 12, verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So were they believers? No. No. But they believed. They really did believe. But if I actually acknowledge I believe, they'll kick me out. Jesus said, unless you're able to hate father and mother... You can't be my disciple. I actually have met people that say, 
I know that I'm supposed to be baptized in obedience to Jesus after I trust him as my savior, but um, I was baptized as a baby. And if I get baptized the way Jesus says to be baptized, it'll hurt my mama and I don't want to hurt my mama. Is Jesus Lord or is mama Lord? You understand? Oh, by the way, don't, don't run off and become judgmental of people around you because you're going to find out tonight he's still teaching us how to trust him as Lord as well. There's areas of Jim Johnson's life that even though he is Lord, he's saying, um, I'm going to take you a little deeper. Let me show you some areas you still don't trust me. But go back to Matthew 7. He's just said, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. But look at verses 22 and 23. He then goes on and says, on that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, let that sink in for a minute. That's a little bit confusing. He's just said, not everybody who calls me Lord is getting into the kingdom, but only those who do the works and do the will of my Father. And then he says, and many on that day will say, didn't we do? And I'll say, I never knew you. Well, how does that work? Well, listen closely. The true evidence that we're really saved and we, he's really our Lord is that we do what he says. But listen, the moment you start putting your faith in what you've done, as that's what's going to get you into heaven, that's going to be a dangerous place to be. I've shared this before. I'll use this illustration again. If I were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven? First of all, let me just clarify. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's never going to ask you that question because he's already given you eternal life and it's fine. And you don't have to worry about getting the right answer. Because if you're truly saved, he's already guaranteed your eternal life. You're already seated in the heavenly realms. You're not going to stand before God or Peter or anybody else and find out how would I get in. But if he were to ask me, why should I let you into heaven? I can look you in the eye and say, I will not list anything I've done. I would say you said. I put all my eggs in one basket. You said that if I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I believe that he lived the sinless life, he died in my place and I'm in heaven because of faith in him. Do you understand? If you stand before God and say, but I preached, but I was good. I tried to follow your law. I tried to do what you said. You've just put your faith in your works. That's why in this passage, Jesus says, first off, not everybody that says calls me Lord is really getting in because it's only those who do what I say. Oh, and those that put their faith in what they do, they're not in either. That's why this has been such a tough little wrestling match between Paul and James. But actually there wasn't. They're both saying the same thing, but people wrestle with it. And it's going to be a little tricky for us. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to kind of help us a little bit, because I'm not here to make you question your salvation at all. Actually, there's a big difference between wondering if you're saved and knowing you're lost. But I also got to be faithful to the word of God and just show you from the scriptures that Jesus himself said, just because people say they believe doesn't mean they do. And those who really do believe, there'll be evidence. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Look at verses 18 through 23. Jesus is talking, explaining the parable of the soils here. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown where? 
in his heart. For years, I used to read that the seed that fell on the hard path and the birds came and took it away were people that never even had a chance. No, no, it was sown in their heart. They just didn't understand it. And during that time of not understanding it, they lost it. Keep reading. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They believe. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, some kind of the word, immediately he falls away. In other words, there are those who actually say, I believe they might even get baptized. They might even join a church. But God knows their faith's not real. You know why? Because he knows that down the road, God's going to do things in ways that they don't like. And they're going to walk away because God disappointed them. And I know of some of those. Actually, ran, Becky and I ran into a lady on the cruise we were just on this past week. She sat by herself across from us in the restaurant. And so every night we see her and we really felt like God was wanting us to reach out to her a little bit. And we began conversations. We found out that her husband died eight months ago. She was wearing a cross necklace, by the way. My wife said, that's a beautiful cross necklace you have. Are you a believer? This is what she said. I believe, but he and I aren't on good terms right now. I'm mad at him. And I haven't been to church in years. I don't know where she is. It's not my job to determine if saved or not. But let me just say this to you. She sounds a lot like the rocky soil per person, doesn't she? I believe, but then actually I don't believe anymore. Mama died and God didn't answer my prayer. Or I asked him to take the cancer away and he didn't. Or, you know, she left me and she was my world. There are those who say they believe, but over time you realize when push comes to shove. Remember earlier part of our James study was some of the evidence of real salvation? Trials. Yeah, but Jim, can I ask you a question? Go for it. I've been mad at God. Oh, yeah? Mad at God. And that's why I told you, I don't know where she is. She sounds a lot like the rocky soil. I thought if you heard what I said, I said, I don't know where she is. But there's a difference between being mad at God and still talking to God and mad at God and saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we all we all like Job talk and get upset say, and say things we, we didn't. But the, the difference is, is there are those who say they believe. But when those things happen and they get mad at God, they walk away. Do you understand? I'm glad you brought that up, David. That's a good question. Go on to the next verse. Verse 22, Ezra was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. There are those that actually say they believe, but over time, the things of this world are more interesting. Wealth is a little bit more interesting. By the way, Judas is a perfect example of that. Judas believed. Judas was even able to cast out demons. When Jesus sent him out two by two, nobody came back and said, Judas can't do it. And when Jesus on the, in the upper room that last night said, one of you is going to betray me, nobody said, I know who it is. <laughs> nobody did. They had, a clue. they had no clue. Because Judas looked like everybody else. But actually, as you watch what's going on, Judas had signed up for a Messiah that was going to come and bring the kingdom now. And as they got closer and closer to the cross, Jesus started saying things like, they're going to kill me. But three days later, I'll rise and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And 
Judas starts to say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Oh, we also find out later on he was stealing money from the treasury and the things of this world and the kingdom now and, and, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked him and he went away. Because it wasn't real faith. Oh, I got some good news for you, though. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, and it yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. Is God expecting us all to produce the same amount of fruit? No. So you just need to do the good works that are prepared for you. Well, how do I know what that is? Oh, that's, you just walk with him by faith. You learn how to not focus on doing the good works, but you focus on walking with him by faith. And when he speaks and speaks to you through his word or his spirit convicts you about something, trust him and do it. And the good works that he's prepared for you will be done. Now, I'm going to give you another tough conundrum. Go to James chapter 4, good verse 17. James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. So if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, you sin. All right? Keep that one in the back of your mind. Go to Romans 14, verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23. Paul's been teaching about things that are the gray areas, if you will, and meat sacrificed idol. He says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, hang on for a second. James says, if I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, I'm sinning. And Paul says, if I don't do it by faith, even though I do the right thing, but I don't do it by faith, it's sin. Help. That's why you don't need to focus on your faith or focus on your good works. You focus on who? Jesus. And as you're going to see in a little bit, we need to learn to become men and women who walk with him, hear him, obey what he says, but trust that he's going to make it work. All right, Lord, I'm doing this because I believe you told me to. And I'm trusting you. And guess what? When you do that, there'll be good works. And you won't believe that you'd produce the good work yourself. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. You still wrestle with it. But you know what? God knows that, too. And he loves using those as teaching opportunities. I actually talked with a pastor this afternoon for about a half an hour to an hour. And we were wrestling over some things he was wrestling with up in Georgia. And and uh, he goes, help me with this mustard seed faith thing. You know what I'm talking about? I said, turn in your Bible to Matthew 14, around verse 28. And he goes, okay. So he does. And that's where Peter's in the boat in the storm. And Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Peter, Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat because Jesus said, again, if Peter got up out on the boat on his own, it's not faith. Faith only begins once God spoke. You do what he says. Jesus said, come. He gets out of the water, actually has enough faith to get out of a boat on, in a storm. That's a lot of faith, wouldn't you think? 
Yet he starts to look at the wind and the waves and he starts to sink. And Jesus says, you, oh, you have little faith. Now, most of us would say, stop, stop, stop. He had enough faith to get out of a boat on a storm. That's a lot of faith. But Jesus, you say, is little faith. You have chapter 15 in Matthew and you'll see Jesus dealing with this woman who's a Canaanite, who has a daughter with a demon. And Jesus says, it's not right for the children's bread to go to the dogs. And the woman says, I'll just take crumbs then. Because even the dogs get to lick the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus turns to her and he says, woman, you have great faith. We get to chapter 17 of Matthew and Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it'll be moved. Now, if you know, if you've ever seen a mustard seed, if I had one on the tip of my finger and held it up, you couldn't see it right now. It's that small. And I'm so glad Jesus gave us that teaching because you know what he's showing us? He said, if your faith is this big, a mountain can move. So great faith or little faith has nothing to do with the size of your faith or my faith. Great faith or little faith has everything to do with the size of your God. Let me take that definition now and put it back into our two stories. When Peter stepped out of the boat, his God was big enough to have him walk on water. But what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to look at the wind and the waves. Oh, and in that instance, if you will, the storm got bigger and Jesus got smaller. And his faith, faith got smaller. Do you understand? The woman says, God, you're so big. Jesus, you're so powerful. If I just have a crumb, that's enough for me. Her faith was huge because her God was big. It has nothing to do with the size of your faith or my faith. It's the size of your God. That's why we need to know him and know his words and believe that he's able to do what he's promised. That's where we're going to end up in the end of our study tonight. The examples of men and women of faith who demonstrated it by their actions, Abraham and Rahab. Go to John chapter 2. And I want you to read only verse 23. Do not read 24, 25. Do not, do not, do not. If you're looking at your iPad or your phone, set it so that it scrolls where you only can read verse 23. Don't look at verse 24, just 23. By the way, I know that the more I say it, the more you want to look at 24 <laughs> because the law fuels sin. But in John chapter, and I'm going to give you a quiz and I'm going to give you a little help. Don't be in a hurry to answer because the answer is not what you think. And John chapter two, verse 23. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Are they saved? Yes or no? You jumped. I told you not to be fast. The honest answer is we don't know. Now, if you know the verses 24 and 25, you're correct. They're not saved right then. But the honest answer is we don't know. Just because they say they believe doesn't mean they are. But look at verses 24 and 25. Even though they believed in his name, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Did you catch that? They believed in his name. But Jesus knows what we're talking about tonight. Not all that say they believe really believe. 
Well, how are we going to know? How are we going to know? Only over time. Only over time. Are you going to stick? Because we're going to get mad at God sometimes, aren't we? There are going to be times the things of this world are going to be tempting to us, aren't they? There are going to be times that we're going to be more interested in money taking care of us than God. Does that mean we don't have salvation? No. But the real test will be over time. But Jesus is simply saying, don't just sit back and say, well, I prayed a prayer. I've given Jesus my life. I trust him. Words don't mean anything. And only God knows your heart. As one man said years ago, I love this. He said, um, I don't know about Billy Graham, but I know about me. I know I'm safe. What do you mean about Billy Graham? Again, what he was simply saying is this. Only God knows where each of us are. We can know because his spirit will testify with our spirit. Romans 8, 16. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. John, 1 John 5, 13. I write things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible makes very clear that those who are his children know and they don't worry about it. Satan will cause us all to wonder and all to question. But let me just encourage you. Over time, is there evidence? Go ahead. Over time, you mean like campaign promises? <laughs> Over time, like campaign promises. Yeah, trust me, that's a great example, by the way. Have there not been politicians who claim Christianity when it's election time? Does that mean they're really believers? You know, and don't waste your time trying to figure out if they are or they aren't. But just because they say they're a believer doesn't mean they are. I think John the Baptist might have had a thing or two to say to some of the politicians in our day who were wanting to get baptized. Let's see some evidence. Go to Matthew 7 again. Jim, I thought we were studying the book of James. I told you I was going to bomb you with the fact that this has been all throughout the scriptures. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Now, I want to take this a step further for you to help. I've already told you, don't be worrying about anybody else whether or not they're saved. But there is a group that you should be watching and checking fruit. It's not your neighbor in the pew next to you. But you should check the fruit of those who are continually standing before you and teaching the word of God. Moses actually said, listen, he's, I mean, sorry, Jesus said this. He said this about the Pharisees. He said, listen to what they say because they're sitting in Moses' seat. They're reading you the law of God. But don't do what they do. Because even though they're saying the right things, their lives don't back it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? You should be careful who you listen to. Look for the fruit. Don't look for their degree. Don't look for the signs and the wonders. Don't look for the years of experience. Does their life demonstrate evidence of the spirit of God within them? So we should examine the fruit of those who are teaching us and preaching. And we should examine the, let the spirit of God examine the fruit within us. But don't worry about your neighbor next to you. That, that's the Lord's. He's going to take care of that. 
Last night when I was teaching this, I started to break down a little bit. Because as I was teaching about examining the fruit of those who were teaching, I realized sitting right there on the front row was my wife and my three kids who are 29, 27, and 24. What an honor it was that kids are grown would actually come, and they didn't have to. I mean, they don't live with us anymore. They're on their own. They got jobs and lives. But they're there every Tuesday night wanting to come and listen to their dad teach the Bible. That was an honor. And I can honestly say, hopefully I strive in my life to let Jesus be in control, not just when I'm up here teaching, but at all times. Am I perfect at it? No, none of us are. But at the same time, there hasn't been such bad fruit that my kids would say, I don't want to listen to him. He sounds real good when he's in front of everybody, but we know the real thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go to John chapter 8. Look at verses 30 through 32. There's a famous passage of scripture where Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You all know that one, right? Did you know who he actually said it to? Listen closely to what happens here in John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So were they saved? We don't know. You starting to get the right answer now? We don't know. Just because they say they believe, they might. They might not. But look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you catch that? There was a group of people that believed. And Jesus said, um, I know I'm talking to a group of people that believe, but not everybody that says they believes believes. So if you Abide in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Go to 1 John chapter, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 15 and following. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. By the way, anybody here that's never been tempted by anything in the world? Right. But there's a difference between being tempted by things in the world and loving the world. Do you understand the difference? But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Look what he says next. He says, children... It's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. Did you catch that? The only thing that's going to be real evidence is over time. Just saying you believe. By the way, when people come forward and say, I believe in Jesus and I want to receive him as my savior, I baptize them. You know why? Because I don't know everyone's hearts. And if you say you believe, 
I'm going to baptize you because the Bible says baptize those who believe. But I'll also say to you, time will tell if this is real. Time will tell if this is real. I'm not going to have you turn there because of time. In John chapter 6, verses 6 through, 60 through 71, Jesus is teaching and he's just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And listen to what it says. Many of his disciples upon hearing this said, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Who can accept it? And they left following Jesus. What were they called again? Disciples. Many of his disciples stopped following Jesus. Jesus does something very interesting. He turns to the 12 apostles and he says, you guys are free to go too. Do you all want to go away as well? You're welcome to leave. Stop for a second. Do you know that our churches today are trying to get bigger crowds? And Jesus was thinning them out. Our churches today have been taught to just count numbers and how many people in the pew. And we just we don't really care. We just want you to come and we want you to be here because we want to count heads and baptisms and all this stuff. And actually, Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul and James and Peter were kept saying, no, we only want people that are for real. Don't be in a hurry to keep people, folks. There are going to be those who walk away. That doesn't mean we shouldn't care, but we shouldn't chase. I love the fact that Peter says, where else would we go? We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. By the way, did he understand them? But then Jesus, knowing that, yes, you're right, you aren't going anywhere, says, um, one of you, though, is a devil. Because he knew who was going to betray him. There it is, all there in a nutshell. James, like I said, is most likely dealing with a group of Jewish people who loved the idea of freedom from the law and had replaced it with a mental faith-only belief. He's saying to them, if you have faith but not demonstrating it with good, or not demonstrating it with good works, that evidence of your faith means you're most likely probably not saved. That's what his illustration is here. He's not saying, by the way, if you don't give someone food or clothing, you're not saved. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying this, look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that kind of faith, that's how it should be translated, can that kind of faith save him? He says, for example, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without doing something, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if there isn't works, is dead. All right. Then he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And theologians and Bible scholars have wrestled with, who is this someone that James is referring to? And I honestly think, as I've wrestled with it in the full context of this passage, the someone he's referring to is the faith-only person. The faith-only person says, you have works, but I have faith. James says to that person, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe that God's one, you do well. But even the demons believe and they shudder. In other words, the demons believe that there's only one God. Does it do them any good? No. Just saying you believe and just believing without actions of faith doesn't do you any good. 
So in the time we have left, and I can't wait to break this down because this is going to be so cool. Look at verses 20 and following. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So back in Genesis 15, 6, the scripture clearly says that Abraham believed God and God credited it to him, counted to him as righteousness. In other words, at that moment, when Abraham believed, Jesus said, you're saved. You're declared righteous. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus earlier, we saw in John chapter 2, verse 24, not entrust himself to those who say they believed? Why? Because he knew their hearts and he knew it wasn't real. But he's God. He's outside of time. He knows the finished product. And he knew that even though it wouldn't be demonstrated for a little while, Abraham really did believe. And God said, you're declared righteous. Oh, that faith that you have, which is going to grow, is going to be, it's, it's a mustard seed it's going to grow over time. I know it's real. That's why Jesus could turn to Peter and say, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you'll deny you know me three times. Why would he call him by his new name when he's telling him he's going to deny that he knows him? Because he knows the finished product. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let the Holy Spirit relax you tonight if you're his. Just receive the fact that you're his. You don't do it perfect. I don't do it perfect. But if you're like me, even though I don't do it perfect, I ain't going anywhere. Am I tempted by the world sometimes? Yes. Do I a lot of times trust in money more than God? Without question. Are there times that God does things that I don't understand and I get a little hurt? Yep. But you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Because I honestly believe and know that he's the Holy One of God. I put all my eggs in one basket. And even though I don't do it perfect, my faith is real. And it's being demonstrated little by little over time. By the way, this same Abraham that believed God still didn't trust him a lot, did he? He kept lying to protect himself. And he's not my wife. She's my sister. And did that a couple of times. And God had to clean up after him. Oh, but go to Romans chapter uh, uh, 14. Uh, sorry, chapter 4. Go to Romans chapter 4. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Sounds like he has a big God in hope. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. That's chapter four of Romans. I started in verse 17. All right. Let me read it again. As it is written, I have made you, God told Abraham, made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. All right, now stop for a second. 
Because of time, I'm not going to have you turn there. But in Genesis 22, and you go read Genesis 22, verses 1 through 12, you'll see the story of Abraham offering his son Isaac. And as God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him for me on a mountain that I'll tell you. And Abraham takes his son and a couple of servants and they head there. On the way, his son asks him as they've got the wood for the fire, but no lamb. The son Isaac says, Father, where, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? We've got the wood and the knife and everything, the fire. Where's, where's the lamb? And Abraham's answer is this. He said, God will provide for himself a lamb. When they get to the mountain that God tells them, Mount Moriah, he has the servants stay there. Listen closely. You can double check me in Genesis 22. Abraham says to the servants, me and the boy will go up and we will come back. Now, some people say, well, Abraham wasn't really going to kill him. No, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let the scripture build what you believe. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Listen to that. Was Abraham going to kill him? Yes, he was. He was going to kill him. But he believed God so much that because God had said, through Isaac will your offspring be named, he believed against hope in a God who was able to call into existence things that don't even exist. He believed that God was going to have to raise him from the dead then because if he's told me to kill him, and it doesn't make any sense to me why he would do that because he's already said it's going to come through him, and I'm not second-guessing God. I'm going to trust God. He had some real faith, don't you think? He believed in a big God, and he... What's that? Were they not worshiping on the way there? Oh, of course they were. They were worshiping on the way there and especially on the way back. But let me, let me tell you this. There was no Lazarus story before this. There was no Jairus' daughter story before this. We don't have any record of God ever raising anybody from the dead prior to this. But his faith was so real. It was demonstrated by his actions. So where God's talking to me a little bit. He's still stretching me a little bit. Isn't he still stretching you a little bit? Oh, we've trusted him as our Savior, and we believe, and he's given us righteousness. Oh, but he's not done testing our faith. Oh, and by the way, back in Genesis 22, once Abraham goes to kill him, and God stops him and provides his own ram, listen to what God says. You can double-check me again. He says, God says, now I know that you fear me. Wait a minute, I thought God knew back in Genesis 15. He did it for Abraham's sake, but he's also, go back to James. James explains it to us. You might have missed it. Go back to James chapter, chapter 2, verse uh, 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. We already just talked about it. Everything he did was totally trusting in God. He didn't have a backup plan. He was trusting in God's backup plan. 
And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Yes, he was given righteousness in Genesis 15, verse 6. But when was it completed? When he actually did it. Do you understand? Faith without actions isn't faith. Faith without fruit is not faith. Now, Jim, what's the fruit then? Well, again, like we've already talked about, the different good works that he has for each of us are going to be different. But you can go back and look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness, self-control. Hang on for a second. If any of you start now and go, I need to get better at being more patient, you've already failed. Who's the one who produces the patience? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it has to be done by faith. Anything not done by faith is sin. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul says it's God who establishes us in every good work and word. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the perseverance of Christ. It needs to be us saying, Lord, would you do it? That's why at the same time in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's already been given to us, but we're to be active in doing what he says, but... Verse 13 says, for it's God who works in us both to what and what? Will and do. What is will? No. It's desire. The word will means desire. It's God who works in us both to desire and to do. In other words, do you struggle with desiring to forgive somebody that God's telling you to forgive? And if you say no, then you're already past that test. But if you're like most of us, the answer is yes. So what do we ask God for? The desire. Father, change my heart toward this person. Because one of the evidences that you're in me is forgiveness. And doing what you ask of me. So I don't want to. But you want me to. Lord, you've been telling me to let this go. But I don't want to. But you've asked me to. And if I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, I'm sinning. But I also know that if I do it in my own strength, it doesn't count. Anything I do, I have to do by faith. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to do this. And watch what happens. I'm going to close with a story that happened this past week while I was on the cruise ship. But before we do that, run to Rahab here in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, look at verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Again, time-wise, we don't have time to break that all down. But in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we see that Rahab... I already believed when the spies showed up. Listen to what she says. <laughs> we know God's with you. And to be honest with you, we're all melting in fear. And because of her faith in a God that was going to 
defeat her city. She hid the guys because of her faith. By the way, do you know she was risking her life by doing that? Because everybody knew those guys went into her house. But she hid them. And they said, where are the guys? She said, actually, they went out. They just left. You missed them. Hurry up. You might find them. She lied. That's another study for another time. <laughs> but she did it because of faith. Do you know who was bigger in Rahab's eyes than the people of her city? God. She had a fear of God more than a fear of man. Her faith was, her, sorry, her actions were done by faith and her actions completed her faith. It showed that it was real. God's going to be challenging you tonight, the rest of this week, the rest of your life, with little more steps of, do you really believe? Not whether or not you're saved. He's trying to conform us into the image of his son. He's testing us more and more to trust him here and there. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Just a couple of pages back in your Bible. Go to Hebrews 11. Look at verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Did you ever notice if you read Hebrews 11 that the men and women of faith were described as men and women of faith and then it listed what they did? Now, did these men and women put faith in what they did? No. They just did what they did because they had a big God. Oh, for a group of people who would really, really act on what they say they believe. And I'm preaching to myself. Is God good? Does he make any mistakes? Is he in full control of all things, good and bad? Will he cause all things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Then why am I afraid of bad things happening? Do you understand? Because my faith is a little bit weak because my God's not as big as I say he is. I was on the cruise ship last week, as a lot of you know, and there were many different reasons, but God's so awesome. We had booked this months and months ago when Becky had been offered a free, or not free, but a really, really cheap cruise with MSC because she's a travel agent and they wanted her to experience it in hopes that she sells some. And so being her husband is a nice perk. And uh, so we kind of prayed about it and felt like God was saying yes. And so we booked it while, a while ago. Little did I know it was going to happen in the midst of all this stuff that was going to go on with my brother as soon as I had just gotten back from 11 days in Israel. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep in those days between Israel and when we went on that trip. And we even thought about canceling it. We felt like God said, no, I booked you that cruise for a reason. And Jeremy, thank the Lord, was in a rehab hospital during the whole time. So he was being taken care of while we were on the cruise. And so we really felt like God just said, you know what he told Elijah? Sleep and eat. That's what he told us. And you want proof that he told us to sleep and eat? My wife's phone was dropped in the ocean in Roatan, Honduras on day three, and we had it no more the rest of the trip. But one night I was laying there in the bed, stressing. Yeah, Jim Johnson, the preacher that looks like he understands everything, was stressing, and I stress a lot. I got a lot on my plate. Did you catch how I said that? I got a lot on my plate. 
It's the Lord's plate, not my plate, and I'm learning that. But as I laid there for three hours not sleeping, saying, what's the point of this cruise if I can't sleep? But I was laying there thinking about my brother, and let me say something to you that some of you may not know, and I'm not doing this to bash him, it just is what it is. My brother Jeremy has bad toenails, and he's not real good at taking care of himself. And to be honest with you, we don't love trimming his nails either. They're pretty gnarly. So every Christmas we buy him a gift certificate to the toenail place in the mall and give enough on it that whenever he needs a toenail job, just go there, Jeremy, and those ladies will take care of it. Well, we just assumed he had been doing it. And when he ended up in the hospital, the only time we'd ever seen him, he wears shoes. When we got to the hospital and he had no shoes and socks on and we're sitting at the foot of the bed, we all of a sudden realized Jeremy has not been going to the toenail place. Actually, when we cleaned his apartment while he was in the hospital, we found the gift certificates not used. And Jeremy's toenails had grown this long. Oh, but they weren't sticking straight out. Because they had grown for that long and he kept putting on socks and shoes every day, they had literally curved all the way down his toes and past the first knuckle. And I'm laying in the bed thinking, how am I going to clean these? I don't want to be responsible for hurting his foot, but I'm literally thinking Dremel tool, all this stuff. What can I do to get these are thick, nasty toenails? And I'm laying there going, God, I've got to do this. And we got this financial stuff and we got all this paperwork and we got SSI maybe. And, and, and we got an appointment with a lawyer and Lord. And God spoke to my heart and he said, give him to me. I said, all right, Lord, I need sleep. Jeremy's yours. If I died today, you'd still take care of Jeremy. Why am I thinking it's up to me? He's yours. And folks, I went to sleep. I mean, instantly. It's like someone knocked me out. You know that shot they give you right before surgery? I love that shot. I, I will have elective surgery just for that shot. That's the best shot. And God gave me one of those and I was out. Now we had set it up that we got the internet package and we set up on Jeremy's phone WhatsApp so that we could stay in contact in case something happened. And the next morning, I'm woken up by Jeremy texting me on WhatsApp and this is what he said. Uh, Jim, is it okay? Uh, they just took me down to the beauty parlor and gave me a haircut and cut my nails. And I texted back, your toenails too? And he goes, yeah. God had just taken care of it. But he was saying to me, you say you trust me. Give me this area. Do you understand? You believe. But you still struggle sometimes. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Go ahead, Chris. Well, you mentioned Elijah was ministered to and told to sleep and eat. That was right after he fled. From Jezebel. You got it. Elijah was told to sleep and eat right after he had been running in fear. He had been used by God mightily, and then Jezebel says she's going to get him, and he was afraid. So he was stressing. I'm sorry? He was stressing. Oh, he was stressing. He was stressing. But God met him. He did meet him there. Folks, if you got faith, it'll be evidenced. But let God take you deeper. Let him take you deeper. Whatever it is that he's talking to you about, give it to him. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.